Right. Today, the title of today's talk is Jesus in three words. So I can see all of you now who are making notes. You're writing down Jesus in three words. That's the title. And the reason why is because in the passage that we're looking at, Jesus describes himself in three words. And those words that he describes himself as, as the way, the truth, and the life. He makes those claims about himself. When I was reading the passage and it reminded, and, and I was, saw this, that Jesus is calling himself these things, it reminded me of on other occasions when characters from films describe themselves very briefly in a few short words. I'm going to take Shrek as an example. Who here loves Shrek? Put your hand up in the air. You love Shrek? Great film. Great film. Shrek, right at the start, well, throughout Shrek a lot, Shrek describes himself as a big, stupid, ugly... Oh, well done. What else does he say? He says that ogres are like... Onions. Love it. I hear that there. And even at the start of the film, Donkey calls himself a flying, talking donkey. Uh, Prince Charming describes himself as the bravest and most handsome in the start of Shrek 2. And moving away from Shrek as well, to Disney, from DreamWorks to Disney, representing all, uh, all fans out there. Mary Poppins, how does she describe herself? Practically perfect in every way. Absolutely. And so I thought, before we crack on, why don't we turn to the person next to you? Can you describe yourself in three or four or five words? And if you're watching online, maybe you could describe yourself in three, four or five words. I hope none of you are describing yourselves as a big, stupid, ugly ogre. All right. When I was uh, preparing for this, I, um, I'm, I'm newly married. For some of you who don't know, I got married six months ago and I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask my wife, how would you describe me in three words? And her first response, without hesitation, the thought, it, you know, she didn't have any time of thinking, she just went, annoying. <laughs> and I thought, fair enough, I'll take that. Furthermore, thinking, she then landed with loving, which I thought, oh, phew. And then, after further thought, she went with energetic, which I also think is basically my source of annoyance. So basically, I'm annoying double and loving a little bit, which is great. Thank you, uh, Jessica. But yeah, Jesus describes himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to be reading from John chapter 14. Verses 2 to 6, they should appear on the screen uh, for you. It says this, it says, was Jesus speaking? My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Says Jesus, he's saying his three words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's describing himself. And we're going to look at each one of these, okay? So we're going to focus first on the way. Jesus is the way. Now, what does this mean? Some of you out there who might like Star Wars and the Mandalorian, he, the Mandalorian says, this is the way. Jesus is not like that, okay? Jesus is not saying that. He's literally saying, I am the way to God. It's a huge claim. He's making this claim, which is huge to make. He's saying, if you want to get to God, you can only get to him through me. No other religion, no other way of life. The only way you can get to God is through me, a person. It doesn't matter how good a person you are. You might be sitting there thinking, but I'm a good person. You know, I'm a really well-behaved and, I, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm nice to people and I'm kind. Surely that, I can get to God like that. He's saying no. The only way to get to God is through me, Jesus. So why can we only get to God through Jesus? It makes us pose that question, doesn't it? Well, Jesus' life is a little bit like my new shoes. Some of you might have uh, spotted them already. Those of you at the back you might not be able to see. I can't, don't know if you can see online, but these are my new shoes, and they are very white, okay? I bought them from, from the shop the other day. I wanted a white pair of shoes, and these ones are sparkling. My old white pair of shoes, which I got, uh, I came into the office one day, and uh, Ben said to me, Will, I need some sunglasses to look at those shoes. They're so bright. And that's kind of the case with these. You see, Jesus' life was spotless. It was pure. His life was totally good. There was no mud on him. He wasn't dirty. He was clean. His life was pure. And the words we might use in the Bible is righteous. Big words. But basically, he's saying he is pure. He is good. He is clean. And... The reason why he's clean is because he never disobeyed God. The other word in the Bible sometimes used is sin. And sin basically means to disobey God. Jesus never sinned and never disobeyed God. And that meant his life were a little bit like my white shoes. But our lives are a little bit different. Now, these are my old white shoes. Pretty disgusting, eh? They're muddy. You, see, you can see that they were once white, can't you? But they've got mud all over them. And not just mud. There's a massive rip. I can put my finger through it nearly. Every time we sin, we disobey God. It's like getting a muddy stain on our lives. It's like ripping our lives up. It's not good. And you might be saying, well, have I sinned? Well, in the Bible, it says that, you know, there's the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it says if you break one of those commandments just once, you've sinned. And those things are like lying. I've lied. 
Things like, embrace yourself here, guys. Disobeying your mums and dads. That's a sin. I've disobeyed my mum and dad. And that means that my life is like these shoes. They're not like Jesus' life. Jesus' life was clean, perfect, spotless. But our lives, dirty, horrible, ripped. I'll leave that there so you can gaze upon my old shoes. I promise you they do smell pretty awful. So um, you can look at them if you'd like to. But when our lives are muddy and not nice, we can't be with God. And that's an issue. Before Jesus came to earth, we read in the Old Testament that God lived in the temple. And he lived in a specific room of that temple. The room he lived in was called the Holy of Holies. Can you say Holy of Holies? He lived in the Holy of Holies. And we humans, we weren't allowed in that room. Because if we were in that room, we would die. And it's all because our lives are dirty and muddy and not nice. And so God said, we need to create, well, we need to have a massive curtain which separates the humans from God. A ginormous curtain. It was a physical barrier. A physical barrier which highlighted our spiritual brokenness and separation. We were separated from God. Now, who here has got this marvellous book? The Garden, the Curtain and the Cross. Hands in the air. Who's got this book? Bess and Edie. This is actually your book here. I am going to give it back to you one day. But I've just been so enjoying it over the past few weeks. And this book is at my level. Okay, It's a really, really great book and easy to read. And it actually has a wonderful description of this, of the temple. If that picture can go on the screen for us, that'd be lovely. Now, I'm not saying you will be able to see this very well, but don't worry, I'll read it out to you. This is in the temple. But then God told people to put a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was a big keep out sign. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God said, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. Do you want to say that with me? Because of your sin, you can't come in. The curtain was a barrier between us and God because of our sin. We couldn't get in there. And I thought, it's time to have a bit of fun. Can we make our own curtain in this room? I've got some two budding friends, part of the church. Can you uh, throw over the, uh, the white curtain from each side? We're going to see if this works. It might not entirely work. And Ben, William, wonderful. Thank you, guys. Come and draw this curtain across. That's it. Well done, guys. If the string snaps, then it's okay. We'll get over it. I'll cry a little bit inside, but we'll be all right. See, oh, look, there's a massive spider on this. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Just in case anybody wants to know, there's a spider on this kitten. The curtain in the temple 
was not white and it was not see-through. You're coming to check it out. Check it out, get a closer look. Fair play to you. The curtain wasn't white and see-through. The curtain was blue and purple. It was crimson. It was made of fine linen. And guess what? This curtain here is about four and a half meters high. Okay, pretty big. The curtain in the temple was 18 meters high. That's four times that height. Imagine three more curtains on top of that and you would get the height of the curtain. It was huge. And it was nine meters wide. That's almost from pillar to pillar. Not quite, but almost from pillar to pillar. So it was big. And it also wasn't flimsy. You see, you might be able to see my face if I'm behind here. This is probably about, I don't know, a millimetre thick. The curtain in the temple, bear with me for a moment. The curtain in the temple was 10 centimetres thick. This book, I'll come close to you. This book, five centimetres thick. The curtain was double the thickness of this book. It was huge. So just imagine a curtain so thick it was twice that book. This curtain is nothing in comparison to it, to be quite frank. But it's a good effort. Yeah, good effort, I would say. The curtain was a huge physical barrier. We are separated from God, okay? That's the kind of separation we're talking about here. It's not just a flimsy curtain, it's huge. And that is why we need, need, need Jesus to be the way. Because he is the way to get through the curtain. The curtain was the barrier, Jesus is the way through. Jesus says at one point in the Bible, he says, I am the gate. Anyone through me gets to eternal life, gets to God. Jesus is the gate through the temple. And this is how. You see, our lives being like the dirty shoes, it means that we deserve a punishment. And that punishment is eternal separation from God. It means we should never be able to be with him. So after we die, that's going to hell. It's an eternal consequence for us being separated from God because of our sin. And we deserve death ultimately. But Jesus, whose life were like these lovely clean white shoes, the pure and righteous one, he died for us in our place. He died upon the cross for us, for you and me. We just sang a brilliant song. And it said in it, the innocent judged guilty. That's Jesus. The innocent one who's done nothing wrong, never sinned, never disobeyed God. He's being judged guilty. He's receiving the punishment by being nailed to the cross. And he dies in our place. Friends, that should have been me. And it should have been you. Doesn't matter how old you are. It should have been you. We have all sinned. We've all messed up. But Jesus, he died in our place. As he was nailed to the cross, he took on our sin. So if we choose to accept him as our saviour, we swap. It's a substitution. The swap of the century, the swap of the millennium, the swap of eternity. If we accept Jesus, 
as the one who died in our place. It says in Matthew chapter 27, you might be able to see through the curtain. Those of you on the side will definitely be able to see. It says in Matthew 27, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. When Jesus was lying on the ground with the nails going into his hands and into his feet, the curtain was still there. There was still separation. When the cross had been lifted up and he's hanging in pain and agony, suffering so much, the curtain is still there. But then the moment, the moment that he breathes his last breath and gave up his spirit, the curtain was torn in two. The curtain was torn. Yes, absolutely. That's a celebration. The curtain was torn in two. You see, he was the way through to God. It's through him and only through him. When he died and gave up his spirit, the curtain was torn in two. It looked a bit more dramatic than that. That's just a piece of string being cut. Imagine the 18 meters high curtain, 10 centimeters thick, being ripped from top to bottom. No man could do that. No man could ever rip that. Only God can do it. And you might be thinking, yeah, well, that's a nice old wives' tale. But I promise you, it is true because we have the historical evidence from those who, aren't who weren't believers. They wrote about it. It happened. Jesus is the way to God. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, should be appearing on your screen. So almost turning there if you like. Hebrews chapter 10. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus' death is the way to God, the way to the most holy place. It's all through Jesus. He is the way to God. And Jesus is the truth. So he says that he's the truth as well as the way. And some of you might be thinking, well, is it true that Jesus actually died? Is it true that Jesus actually lived? Well, once again, we have evidence for that too. We're pretty certain that Jesus did live and that he did die. He did die on the cross. You might be thinking, well, truth could be this. You know, there are a lot of people in this world who think there is no truth. Who th you know, they might say the sentence to you, um, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. That's what some people think. Some people think that truth is like a scientific fact. Others think that truth, you know, is a perception of events, maybe. Jesus says, I am the truth. Truth is found in a human, a living person, the God-man, Jesus himself. Later on in John, Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He is the truth. Jesus, this is how Nicky Gumbel sums it up. 
Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. Knowing the truth is not about agreeing to ideas, but about knowing a person. Knowing Jesus broadens your mind, increases your depth of insight, and widens your scope of understanding. To live in truth is to live in a relationship of love with Jesus. Jesus reveals things to us. We understand things through him. Are you struggling to understand something? Is there something you're facing right now and you just don't get why it's happened? Or you're in some circumstances that you just don't understand what's happening? Jesus is the truth. He's the one who brings understanding. He will come to you and meet you and reach you. He is the truth. Jesus also says, John chapter 8, if you want to turn there, you can do or it should appear on the screen. He says, well, it says there, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has a permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus sets you free from your slavery to sin. When we're slaves to it, it means we can't help but do it. We're constantly sinning. We're constantly ripping up our lives. We're constantly making our lives more muddy and disgusting to look at. And to, we can't be in the presence of God. But Jesus is the truth. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is the truth. But Jesus is also the life. So we've looked at the way, we've looked at the truth, we're looking at the life. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, that wasn't the end. We've just been celebrating it, haven't we? Guys, it's wonderful. We've been celebrating the fact that he rose from the dead. God brought him back to life. Death couldn't hold him down. The cross was empty because he died on the cross and they took his body. They put him in a grave and three days later, the grave was also empty. The cross and the grave are empty. And isn't that good news? Yes. Amen. Come on, it's wonderful stuff. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the life. And that's what Easter is all about. So if Easter's all about Jesus, why do we have Easter eggs? I need my uh, couple of volunteers. Why do we have Easter eggs? That's a great question, isn't it? Thanks, guys. Come forward. Easter eggs, what are they about? Well, let me tell you. When you have an egg, a, a real egg, not an Easter egg, a chocolate, an actual egg, and the egg hatches, what pops out? A little baby chick. Ah, oh, cute, yeah? Others of you might be thinking, ooh, tasty. But when an egg hatches, yeah, a baby chick pops out. And that shows its new life. 
the baby chick is new life. So when we crack open our Easter eggs, what we're celebrating is the egg hatching, new life coming. It's a symbol. It's not just, you know, okay, there is, it probably is a marketing campaign as well, you know, to make some money. That's probably true as well. But it is a symbol. When we crack open our eggs, we can remember that Jesus rose again. In him we have new life. It's in him and in him alone. Now, guys, if you are, um, I don't know, primary school and under, do you want to come forward and get a little Easter egg? Now, in these eggs, parents, I have written them down. There is milk in them. There are nuts in them, peanuts in them, soya and wheat in them. Just covering every, every aspect. But come, I'm hoping there will be enough. If there is not enough, I will buy you some more, I promise you. Guys, as these guys are receiving their eggs, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It should uh, appear on the screen as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. This is Paul speaking, another man who knew Jesus. It says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. And then a bit later on. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. We desperately need Jesus to have risen from the dead because if he never rose, we would still be in our sins. Our faith would be futile. This is hugely important, guys. He's risen from the dead. He is the way to God. It's the truth that he is the way and he himself is truth, but he is life. He is life. Now, who's got an Easter egg? Put your hands up if you've got an Easter egg. That Easter egg, friends, right, look at me if you're eating them, eyes on me. That is my gift from me to you. That is a gift from me to you. You came forward, you know what you did? You claimed that Easter egg as your own. You said, I want this and this is mine. Friends, I need to tell you the truth. The gift of life that Jesus offers, you have to claim it as your own. You need to come forward and say, I'm taking that gift. That is my gift. I'm owning it. I have life in Jesus. You've claimed your Easter eggs. Claim, claim the gift of life that Jesus has for you. He wants to give you that present today. And you're going to have the opportunity to come and receive it, to know it, to enjoy it. It's better than chocolate Easter eggs. I know because I live in it every day. It's wonderful. Come and receive the gift of life today. Final bit of passage, guys. In John chapter 11. This is, a, come up on the screen, please. This is a guy called Eugene Peterson summing it up. He sums it up like this. This is Jesus speaking. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you 
believe this? Do you believe this? It's my final question. Amen. Well done, guys. Come on. Do you believe this? If you're part of the band, do you want to come up and make your way up? At the beginning, I asked you to describe yourself in three words. If Jesus is the way, this is how you can describe yourself. I am a follower of the way. To be a follower means you need to be a believer of the truth. Jesus is the way, so we're a follower. Jesus is the truth, so we're a believer. And if you are a follower and a believer, you need to be a receiver of the gift of life. Jesus is the life. Have you received it? Are you a receiver of the gift of life?